the Ex Nihilo Podcast. I'm your host for the show today. Super glad to have you on. The whole premise of this show is that mentally, physically, and spiritually, we can get the most out of you and become who you were created to be, uh, returning to back in the days of the garden. So excited that you could be here. Got a great show planned for you, but first, a little news in our last podcast, we had Dan Cirillo on, the former Navy SEAL. His two-part episode actually got us to the new and noteworthy section of iTunes, so big victory for us there. If you are um, near a computer or you would love to leave us a review because you really like the show later, we'd love for that to happen because then more people are going to get to hear from the show. Very excited about that. Um, we're going to get into our guests, but folks, I'm going to do something new, actually, that something small. I want to do a weird fact uh, of the episode, and so my today's weird fact is that did you know that a plane has never crashed from turbulence? Yeah. No, seriously, there's never been a plane crash because of turbulence. Other things, maybe mechanical issues, but a plane has never crashed from turbulence. The reason why that's my weird fact is that I was on a plane just yesterday flying uh, from San Francisco back home, and we had some giant pockets of turbulence and wondering what the heck's going to happen. Is this plane going down? And I, I, I get curious, so I Google things, and I Google that around. And turns out planes never crash from turbulence. Other things go wrong, but not turbulence. On with our guest here, Sean Post. Sean lives near Seattle with his wife and two boys. He leads a one-year discipleship experience for young adults called the Delphia, which I have personally spoken at as well. Sean writes books. He coaches creative leaders with his business, Commentor Coaching. He is near completion of his doctoral work in missional leadership and is a certified transformational coach. His hobbies include rock climbing, basketball, and training for obstacle course races. He's also the author of two books, which will be the focal point of our talk, One Year and The Stories We Live. So without further delay, here is my guest, Sean Post. Sean, thank you for coming on the show, man. Yeah, awesome to be with you. Yeah, so we're you know we know each other quite a bit. Um, you know, we worked in the ministry together a little bit. I've come and talked at Adelphia, which we'll hear more about. But um, you know, now that I'm in Salt Lake City and, and you're in Seattle, I felt like something like this was necessary for us to get back on the same page. Don't you think? Oh yeah, I got to find a way to connect. So. <laughs> exactly. So right, we mentioned Adelphia. It's your young adult school for discipleship. Um, we're really want I really want to focus in on the stories we live. Um, fantastic book that you've written. But first, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, your schooling, and kind of what you're doing now? Yeah, I'm a Pacific Northwest guy, born and raised. And so ended up being a youth and college pastor for about six years in Olympia, Washington. And then four years ago, transitioned to help start up uh, what I'm doing now, which is Adelphia. It's a one-year program for young adults, um, a discipleship experience. And along the way, uh, you know, got married to my, my beautiful wife, Melissa. We've been married for almost seven years, have two boys, uh, James and Emmett. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the snapshot of me. Absolutely. And so, uh, you're out in Ravensdale, Washington at Adelphia, the, uh, the discipleship program. How the heck did you get into that? Because that's, I mean, there's not a heck of a lot of those going on. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, and it, it is a little bit of a countercultural experience that we're offering because it kind of runs counter to the, the American dream of like, you know, you're supposed to get out of high school, 
go uh, get the right degree, get all the grades you can to make the biggest salary that you can. So when we invite high school graduates to be like, oh, yeah, come take seven months and uh, just come listen to God's voice, uh, lay a biblical foundation, um, get some direction that will set the trajectory for the rest of your life. Uh, Yeah, it's sort of like a foreign concept. It runs counter to that narrative that a lot of people are living. But when I heard the initial vision for it and then was invited to uh, come on board, I really saw it as an opportunity to step into uh, kind of the next level of exercising my gifts, most of which are in communication. So just like teaching and writing and um, speaking and, and those sorts of things. And so definitely working for a college, uh, a small Bible college was a great opportunity to, to do that. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I've been doing since. So Sure. So give me the vision behind Adelphia. I mean, obviously I know what it is, but for those listening, what's the vision and you know, what do you hope to accomplish with those students? Yeah. Well, we like to say that we're inviting young adults to, to Christ, community, and to culture. Um, but, and those are obviously big, you know, weighty words, but really the essence of it is we're inviting 18 to 25 year olds who are so entrenched in, uh, in their way of living that it's difficult sometimes to hear God's voice and to get perspective on calling on the big picture of, hey, what, what is my life really going to be about? You just kind of get caught up in the rat race, and we're inviting people to take a step back, come away for a year, study the scriptures, learn from great teachers, um, practice spiritual disciplines that will help uh, shape their heart, help them connect with God. And, um, I mean, it's powerful. We're heading into our fifth yeah. year, and, and every year without fail, people say, Hey, this, this year changed my life or this has been the best year of my life, uh, which is pretty big stuff. So you wrote a book called one year, uh, and it's about, you know, the, what the, the idea of a one year community and what it could do in terms of, of spiritual growth for, for young people, um, or really for any of us. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, what are some good examples of some of these students that have come in that, you know, maybe through, you know, weird circumstances, they've come into Adelphia and the growth they've experienced? I mean, what are some pretty solid examples of that happening? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, one example I <laughs> was actually a kid who was in my youth group. And so not only was I his youth pastor um, for six years, but he asked me to mentor him for a lot of that time. So basically, uh, almost once a week for six years, we would hang out, have conversations about Jesus, about you know how relationship with God impacts every area of our life. And um, through those six years as a youth pastor, he had huge up and downs. Uh, and he shared with me later that he had lived a double life throughout a lot of that time, struggling with drugs um, in particular, and, uh, yeah, just living that double lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so after he graduated high school, a few years later, um, I got back in touch with him, just social media connecting, seeing how he was doing. And I, I think I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to invite him into Adelphia. And so I did. And through a crazy set of circumstances, he ended up coming and he said, this is going to be my one last chance that I give God in my life to, to break through, um, to see if he's really 
you know, if he's really legit, um, that sort of thing. And what happened over the next six months at Adelphia was his life was changed in those six months in a way that it hadn't been changed during six years where I had been mentoring him. Mm. And I think it was just the context had changed. I mean, Adelphia, it provides experiences that young adults can't have in their in their normal life. I talk about that in, in one year a little bit. I mean, Adelphia really becomes a rite of passage for young adults, which we don't have a definable, discernible rite of passage for most young adults in, in American culture. Mm. It can become, uh, you know, a space for detachment. Because for most of us, we're so... <laughs> It's tough to hear from God when you're when you're binging on Netflix, right? It's <laughs> tough to hear from God when you're uh, caught up in the, in the busy of uh, just normal life. But when you take space and say, "God, I feel like my soul is decaying, and I really want to hear from you. Do you have anything you want to say to me?" What's so crazy is that we have a God who speaks, and He does that for the students who come out when they take time to listen. So. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in what we do, obviously. Yeah, of course. What are, I mean, you get students coming off the street, maybe fresh out of high school or even a couple years out, maybe community college, whatever, whatever they're going through. Um, what do you think is it about American culture that really limits people from growing up? You talked about the rite of passage. I mean, what is it about you know, regular life that we, our young people can't seem to make that transition? Mm. Yeah, it's. It is a cultural phenomenon for sure. I mean, like Wall Street Journal is writing about this, the, the phenomenon of postponed adolescence, that we now have um, key sociological tasks like um, providing for yourself, getting married, raising a family, uh, these types of things that people are postponing longer than ever before. So you've got a 30-year-old dude who lives in his parents' basement, works 20 hours a week at the fast food place, and then plays 60 hours a week of Xbox. <laughs> and it's like, that is, that's so common um, now, uh, that it's that it's an observed phenomenon. So what is it about culture that uh, is causing that? I think part of it is this lack of a discernible transition from uh, you know, adolescence to adulthood in almost every culture throughout history. Like there's some kind of defined right that people move through. Uh, you talk about like in Australia, uh, natives there would have a walkabout, right? So they would send you out for a couple weeks, like, Hey, go live on your own. And uh, if you come back, like, congrats, you're an adult. If you don't make it, sorry, you, you don't cut the mustard. It's like, <laughs> Uh, you know, every culture throughout history has something like that, but we don't really. We just throw people into a university or college context and say, yeah, hey, you're alone. You're away from your parents. Like, party it up. Try to survive, uh, get good grades, and then afterwards, you know, you can head into the workforce and, and make some money. Uh, and it's like, well, is that really a recipe for creating adults functional that contribute to society? Or are we just creating, you know, uh, man children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You hear that all about uh, all the time about, you know, um, like this delayed adolescence there, the fact that they're not, you know, growing up and maybe we've got 26, 27, 28 year olds who, you know, are living childhood lifestyles. I mean, I just heard a story about 
a man who literally went into the, geez, I think it was on a podcast. I heard it literally went into a um, barbershop with his mom in his pajamas, who's maybe 28 years old and <laughs> wanted some hair gel. And from after he got his hair cut and his mom said no. And he threw a tantrum no. in the middle of, uh, in the middle of, the he was like a super cuts or something, which makes it even worse. Um, <laughs> he's throwing a tantrum because his mom won't buy him hair gel and he thinks he deserves hair gel and that he yeah. needs to have that hair gel. Well, you know, yeah, if you have a job and maybe a wife and some kids and uh, financial living, maybe a place to stay, then yeah, go buy some hair gel. But don't demand your mom buy you hair gel. But you know, all that to say, you know, we've had. Such a it's such a weird dynamic in America with delayed adolescence and into college, right? And so and then they find women to you know mom maybe mom's out of the picture and they find a woman that can help shoulder their adolescent dysfunction and irresponsibility and so it, it definitely is an issue. Yeah, it's not a recipe for success. And then you throw into that cocktail the consumerism that permeates. Are the consumerism, individualism, materialism, and it's like if that's the narrative people are operating by, then of course the end result is this postponed or, or uh, you know ongoing adolescence. Exactly. So it's and it's not pretty. You end up with twenty-eight year olds throwing tantrums and then supercuts for hair gel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, that ties in quite nicely to the other book you wrote, the stories we live, um, and let's make this jump. With these young people kind of coming out of of childhood, out of high school, um, do you think that the the narrative in the culture that really we don't have a rite of passage for people to kind of make a clean jump to adulthood, do you think that delays them in really finding out the story of their life and, and how they could actually get the most out of what they're doing, just living? Yeah, I think it does keep them from finding purpose or maybe even a different way of putting it would be that it locks them in to a false understanding of their purpose. So like the dude throwing the tantrum in the supercuts, he, his behavior is informed by the big story that is running his life. And the big story that runs his life is, Hey, my life's about me. My life is about me getting what I need to, uh, you know, I don't know, make my hair look good. Uh, you know, and so everything about his day-to-day rhythms and actions and behavior and words and, and interactions and relationships with other people, everything is informed by that big story he's living, uh, including those pajamas that he's wearing in. You know? <laughs> got to be comfortable. Got to take care of number one. Exactly. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the, uh, the story behind the story. As we live, right? <laughs> Talk yeah. about how you decided to write that book and, and why it became something that was you were passionate about. Yeah. Well, I am just finishing up uh, a degree right now. And one of the assignments that I had uh, two or three years ago was put together a discipleship guide for your ministry. Um, and so I basically wrote The Stories We Live originally as a discipleship handbook for our students here at Adelphia for them to to be able to work through it. And it became something more, obviously, that reached a a broader, wider audience as it got picked up and published. And um, that's been cool to see. But really, the heartbeat of the book is is what we're dancing around here, that we, every single human being 
orchestrates their lives according to some sort of story that they trust in, that they believe in. And uh, those stories, what's crazy as we look at it is that they all follow an identical framework, a framework of beginnings, brokenness, redemption, and restoration. So basically every story that someone trusts in, whether you're uh, a rabid, uh, you know, political on, on either side of the aisle or whether you're a passionate uh, environmentalist or whether you uh, adhere to another world religion, you have to answer questions related to those parts of the framework, beginnings, brokenness, redemption, restoration. So questions like, where did I come from? Questions like, what is wrong with the world? Uh, questions of redemption. So how, who will, who or what will rescue me and the world from what is wrong with the world. And then the idea of restoration is like, what does human flourishing look like? What does the good life look like? And what's crazy is everybody is answering those questions. Um, Everybody is filling in the blanks uh, as they live their life. And everything about our lives is guided by the way that we answer those questions and the story that we place our, our faith in. Uh, because we're all believers in some kind of gospel, it just may or may not be true. <laughs> and sure. so that's why the subtitle for the stories we live I, I, is discovering the true and better way of Jesus. Because, uh, it, you know, what I'm arguing is that uh, we buy into and we are suckers for many false narratives that replicate and mimic the story of Jesus, but they actually don't hold water and they actually can't match up to the true and better way of Jesus. So, and that's a hard reality to swallow, but we're all suckers for lies. So man, incredible. And and I've read through most of the book. Absolutely love it. Would recommend it to anybody listening. In fact, for my, my ministry, that'll be something we hope to go through um, just as a, as a group um, as we read through because, because of this. Now tell me, tell me this. Now you've got people that are living their own story, a story that they've created, um, a story that's, you know, whatever is good for you is good for you. And whatever is good for me is good for me. And I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Now, someone who's living that life, what do you say to someone who feels like they're seeing good results and yeah, they've got a story. Um, but it's not tied to the, the greater story that we feel is most important. What do you say to someone who feels like their way is going pretty okay? Yeah. And that sort of person is who I wrote this book for to have a conversation with, you know, um, cause I think there's a lot of fascinating dialogue and powerful questions that can be asked to people who, um, who are living in a false narrative, which by the way, isn't just people who are outside the Christian faith. It's Christians too. Like we, yeah. we live according to lies too, to, to be clear on that. And so I think, I think a conversation with someone like that just, comes down to what is the ultimate love that you're chasing? Because everybody, every one of us, uh, our lives are are racing towards a, a finish line. We're chasing after some kind of love, whether that ultimate love is financial security, whether it is uh, intimacy and, and romance, uh, whether it's power and prestige. Uh, whatever it is, we have some kind of vision of the good life. And the question is, 
uh, not is it working for you right now, but is it true and is it really going to prove true in the end? And what's the, what's the authoritative basis uh, that you have for, for placing trust and placing faith in that narrative? And, um, and again, it comes back to like the story of God that is revealed in the life of Jesus is, I believe, the only story that can really bring about human flourishing, that can really bring about the security that we all long for, the, um, the meaning, the sense of identity that we all long for. It's only found in relationship with God. And we can catch flashes of that in some of the false narratives, which makes them even more deceptive, but really um, they don't pan out in the end. Yeah, and I always say, you know, it's not about what feels good for you. It's about what's true, and you kind of echoed that. Um, now, why is it necessary to find like find a story light of truth? Um, I know that most people that would disagree, even those in, in Christian circles, would kind of say, you know, it's you know what's what's okay for you and was okay for you, and what's okay for me is okay for me. Um, but why is truth necessary in that spectrum? Yeah, well. I guess the one sense in which it wouldn't be necessary is if someone doesn't care if they waste their life. Mm. Um, like that I've, I've heard multiple people, um, you know, who this quote has been attributed to, but whoever it's from, I, I like it. Uh, people have said that we should not fear failure in life, but what we should really fear the most is succeeding at things that don't matter. And so wow. the, the fact is you could be rocking it, you could be succeeding, you could be doing really well for yourself in something that completely doesn't matter and won't last, uh, won't, won't have any kind of real impact or bring any real meaning to life. And it's like, well, if you're okay living, living according to that kind of lie, like... Uh, we should probably talk more, but yeah, that's sad. That's tragic. And so I think that's why we need that, that truth source. Right. And so again, that brings clarity to, you know, what your individual story is. Right. And so if you've got someone who's living their life, you know, say they're, you know, they really care about the, the needs and of their spouse and they live for the glory of their spouse and, they can't see beyond their spouse or their mother. I mean, that's common in, in, in younger men and younger ladies. Maybe it's their money, their job, whatever it is. They've got a story that as they follow kind of the extension cord to the wall, it leads to a power source that's maybe not flipped on, right? And mm, so, Yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah. And so why is it necessary for your sto- your individual story to be linked to this greater story that's actually powered? Why is that really necessary? Yeah, I think that's where that's where we find life. That's where we find uh, that's where we find an ultimate love that actually brings us a true identity um, and an ultimate love that can actually love us back. Because the harsh fact of someone who's chasing uh, the lie of money is that your money can't love you back. (laughs) But when you're introduced to the story of God. 
in the fact that we are created in the image of God. We are created to overflow with the beauty of God and to relate to him and to enjoy him. And we are created to be creative. Mm-hmm. And yet sin jacked that up. And sin, the essence of it is that we love the wrong things. We, the most attractive being in the universe, we choose to love less attractive things that aren't worthy of our affection and our adoration. And uh, that's, you know, the Bible calls that idolatry or false worship. But Jesus comes to rescue us from the chains of our slavery to false love and to selfishness and to idolatry. And he comes to say, no, 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 wake up to the fact that there is a God who, who loves you like you've been waiting for all your life. And you don't have to wait any longer or look any further. I'm the rescuer that you need. I'm the redeemer that you need. And now your ultimate hope can be in me because not only am I going to die on the cross as a substitute for your sin and rise again from the dead to show that I have power over Satan and sin and death and that I really am the true rescuer. But here's the fact. I'm going to come again one day. I'm going to restore everything that's broken. I'm going to redeem the earth, renew uh, society, execute justice and judgment, and bring about the ultimate human flourishing, what the biblical Hebrew word is, shalom. So right relationship with God, self, and others. That is the ultimate picture of human flourishing. And only that kind of flourishing is only found in Jesus. Mm, that's big. That's big. And so, okay, let's just say I'm someone who, you know, skeptical of what you're saying. I'll buy that for a dollar that we need some sort of greater purpose. But when I look around, I see, you know, evil. I see injustice. I see death. Why, you know, why was it necessary for me to live out my story in accordance with this greater story if it doesn't seem like that story's finished? Mm. Yeah, and that is one of the the big questions, right? It's It almost sounds like you're hitting on the idea of, of hey, if there's really this, you know, all good, all loving, all knowing, all powerful God out there, like why is there sin and suffering and death in our world? And, you know, this, there's injustice out there. And so if there's this just God, you know, why is, why does reality look like it does? And I, I think one of the things that we can really take hope in is uh, the fact that de- justice delayed doesn't mean that justice is being denied. The fact that God hasn't yet uh, finished the story um, and, and brought about that restoration and that that future renewal. Um, it just means that we're in the middle of a story, right? It means that we're not at the end yet. And sometimes it really sucks to be in the middle of a story. It, <laughs> there's tension. There's unanswered questions. It's like when you're watching a movie and you see things falling apart and you think, ah, oh, geez, this, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's, you got you to gotta make this right. And I think that's exactly how God feels when he looks at, at the world. He says, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And that's why mm. at the end he wipes away every tear from every eye. He, he kills death. Uh, suffering is, is done away with. Injustice is judged. And God's love 
purifies our world so that everybody who has responded to God's love and everybody who wants to be with God, he says, yes, come live with me on this redeemed earth in the new city. And people who say, no, 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 I want to go with the false loves. I don't, I don't want to be with you, God. Um, you're not worth it. And he says, okay, your will be done. Your will be done. And they don't have to be a part of uh, the redeemed earth. And, yeah, and, and that's a sad reality. But we're in the middle of a story, and so it's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally, I totally understand, Folly, what you're saying there. Well, hey, um, you know, my next thing is this. Uh, I see when, I, when, I talk, when you talk about the greater story, I see it linking back, way back, um, to kind of the creation um, which is really a lot of the idea of where ex nihilo comes comes about um, before the fall and the way humans were prior um, and then what sin and evil kind of does to that. Do you feel like this greater story might have some sort of root back in that garden? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because when you look at, back at the garden before sin enters the scene, what we're talking about is God's design and his blueprint for humanity and for the world. And so when God says uh, he created man and woman in his image, in his likeness, he created them, uh, there is so much wrapped up in that. Like to be created in the image of God, wow, what does that mean? And I I think the essence of that is that we are created to be in relationship with God and to overflow with the beauty of God and with the creativity of God. And uh, it means that our, our bodies are fundamentally good. Uh, the immaterial part of who we are, uh, you know, is meant to connect with God and belong to him. But then as sin enters the scene, right, things get broken and corrupted and we need God we need to get in touch with God again so that we can be in touch with the design for which we've been purposed. So, yeah, it, it all starts back at the beginning of the story in the garden for sure. Absolutely. And, and, and going off of that, you know, ex nihilo, really the basis of it is um, you know, what, would, what would it have been like if sin hadn't entered into the world? What would the body perform like, the mind perform like, the spirit of worship like? What would that be like? And so with with what I'm doing is we're really trying to take steps to see if we can reclaim some of that um, and not necessarily that we could bring heaven on earth or restore the, you know, the to things to his natural order. Obviously, that won't be done um, until Jesus comes back. But can we taste a little bit more of what it was like through obedience to Jesus and through um, kind of recognizing what he's already done in the world and kind of his natural order of things? Right. Um, and so yeah. talk a little bit about that. I mean. What do you, what is your mindset on it? Do you think that's possible to kind of seek more? Is there is there a way to live optimally to gain just a little bit more of what God did originally? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh the Bible has a lot to say about that actually when we connect. I I'm just thinking of this one passage where uh Paul, he writes uh, in a letter to the church at Corinth. He says, um do you not know that your body is not your own. It belongs to God. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body and your 
your spirit, which are his. And so for the Christian, uh, you know, we've been created in the image of God. That image of God is marred as we're born, separated from God as we're born in sin. But then as Jesus rescues us, he not only like rescues our soul, but he has something to say about our bodies too. And the word that Jesus has for Christians uh, regarding our bodies is, uh, that's actually not yours. That's now mine. I've purchased it. And, and so the heartbeat of that then is, okay, it belongs to me. It's not just for you and your, uh, it's not about you just looking good anymore. It's not just about you fulfilling and pleasing your desires. Uh, you're tapping into that larger purpose, that larger story for your body. And that is now, uh, what my body exists for. So that's, and that's a game changer. Absolutely. And I, and I agree with you. I see it all throughout scripture. Um, you know, the way, the way that we should have eaten, the way that we should take care of ourselves, the way that we should pray, all of these things, you know, were done with the, you know, the mindset that God would want humanity to flourish. And while sin and death has entered the world by our own accord, there is still so much out there that God, um, has done that we can, you know, we can heed and impact and take in from food to air quality, right. To, um, exercise movement to relationships. And so it's, it's all over the scripture. I, one of the verses I have it here, Leviticus 13. Yeah, sure. It's ceremonial law, but just to show God's provision from something like mold, right? So mold is absolutely deadly. Black mold is deadly, certainly deadly. It causes autoimmune conditions. Um, it can cause asthma and death and a lot of people's cancer. And so I read this, Leviticus 13, 47, it says, for any fabric that is spoiled with defiling mold, any woolen or linen clothing, any woven or knitted material of linen or wool, any leather or anything made of leather, if it is affected in the area of the fabric, the leather, the woven, knitted material, or any leather article is greenish or reddish. It is a defiling mold that must be shown to the priest. And so it goes on to talk about how the priest will examine it for a few days. And then he says, he must burn the fabric if it is contaminated. And because that has been spoiled, because the defiling mold is persistent, the article must be burned. And so even in that, to me, I read that and I go, God's provision is is trying to provide for us in that moment Mm. that while sin and death has entered the world, other things have entered the world that are starting to spoil the world. It's decaying, right? It's yearning out. It's groaning, Scripture says. And so mold is kind of a ramification of that. And God's still in that protecting us from something as deadly as mold. I mean, to me, that's so profound. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just read through Leviticus, actually, and it, uh, I, I was making a lot of those same observations. Uh, you know, his provision in areas that they hadn't, they wouldn't have the scientific wherewithal to, to take care of themselves in that way. And yet God offers commands that are, you know, that are good, that are for their not just their, their spiritual health, but for their physical health. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit, this link between the physical and the spiritual, because that's my purpose. Um, I, I really do see a a massive link between knowledge, between the physical body and then between spirituality. Um, and I think that some people like to bifurcate the two. So we have gyms that get you physically healthy, um, and then we've got churches that make you spirit or are supposed to make you spiritually healthy and fit. Um, 
but we see pastors that, you know, don't take care of their body. They don't eat well. They don't exercise. And then on conversely, we see obviously personal trainers and athletes who don't mind their spirituality. So explain them. What do you think the link is between those two? Yeah, this is something I talk a lot about with, with my oldest son. He's, uh, he'll be five in a couple months, but he has seen me exercise and like pursue physical fitness. Right. And so he, he gets pretty into it and he'll even sometimes lecture people about nutrition and stuff, which we've got to get a rein that in a little bit. But, um, you know, what I tell James is the reason we want to be strong and healthy with our bodies is so that we can love other people and serve other people. Um, and I think, the connection between the physical, uh, your physical body and spiritual body, uh, or I'm sorry, spiritual part of us is that connection of love. Cause we're saying that every single one of us, we center our identity on an ultimate love. And so for someone who the center of their purpose and their identity is themselves, and they're consumed with self love, then my body becomes about me uh, looking good and impressing other people so that, you know, maybe they'll like me. But for me, um, I'll never be an Olympic weightlifter or anything. Uh, I'll never be the fastest guy out on the track. I'll never win any of the races that I enter. But for me, the connection between body and spirit is I want to be as healthy as I can be physically so that I have optimal energy and strength and ability to serve others and to serve God, to love others and to love God. Um, that's what I'm trying to teach my son, and, and that's what I'm trying to live for myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that ties in you know, with the book, Your Greater Story. And so your physicality um, is enabling you to li- better live out your narrative in connection with the greater narrative of Jesus and what God is doing. So I definitely am definitely feeling you there. Now, I was reading through some old dead guys like I like to do, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh Protestant in Britain some years ago. He had a really interesting insight kind of on the opposite effect where obviously we're talking about your physicality affecting your spirituality, but what about what about actually cognitively, right? Maybe not just with you know being out of shape, but what about cognitively? And he says this, he says, does someone hold the view that as long as you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what condition your body is? Well, you'll soon be disillusioned if you believe that. There are some in whose case it is clear to me that the cause of the depression is mainly physical. And on the other hand, people who are more physically weak are more prone to attacks of spiritual and discouragement and depression. But if you recognize that the physical may be partly responsible for the spiritual condition and make allowances for this, you'll be better able to deal with spiritual issues. And so when I read that, I I hear someone who's saying that maybe spiritual discouragement, depression, anxiety could actually have a physical cause. Yeah, that's groundbreaking. I don't hear a lot about that. Do you No, that's so good? Because I think what we do when it comes to like depression or um, maybe other like mental health issues is we oversimplify the cause. So like um, not, some churches might say like, oh, your depression is uh, your mental health stuff is purely spiritual, right? We just get the spiritual figured out. You'll be good to go. 
whereas other spheres of society, um, other areas of learning might attribute it to, you know, purely, uh, purely psychological or purely physical, when really we are, we are complex beings. We're not just body. We're not just mind. We're not just spirit. We're all th- three. And the three have so much overlap, which is what I love that that quote is hitting on. Um, and so we are, we're called to pay attention to all three, to, to be aware of all three. Um, I, I do, I have noticed in my life, and I think this is probably true for everyone out there listening. It's like the times that you are maybe the least fun to be around are, uh, times where you're most short with people and snappy or, Maybe if you're a Christian, the time that you experience the most temptation, a lot of times it's when we feel tired and run down, right? Yeah. So like Jesus' temptation in the desert, um, he went out and fasted and prayed for 40 days, connected with God. And the temptation didn't come at the beginning of that. The temptation from Satan came at the end of that, when Jesus was at a point where his body was actually beginning to eat itself, uh, you know, after not eating for 40 days. And so at his weakest point, the enemy came in and, and attacked and brought those temptations. That's and huge. that's, that's, yeah, that, I think that happened. The exact same happens for us. You know, that's that connection at work there. Yeah. I've always heard, you know, the acronym hit, right. That the, the enemy or, um, you know, spiritual darkness tends to hit, um, with that acronym HIT, so hungry, isolated, and tired. And those three things are all physical attributes. Yeah. And so it's pretty interesting that those, you know, that physical body could leave you more vulnerable to spiritual attack. I mean, that's, I, I think that more pastors, ministry leaders need to understand that connection because if you are, you know, you haven't exercised or you're eating extremely poorly to the glory of, you know, maybe you would say, oh, this is the wedding supper of the lamb or something like that. So I should, <laughs> I should gorge myself. <laughs> and that's just a, that's a counter counterproductive idea. Um, and so I think pastors need to hear that. What do you think this kind of idea, what kind of impact could that have on, on, on ministry leaders since you're one yourself? Massive impact. I mean, that's the simple answer. It's, this is not a, a connection that a lot of people are making, which is why I'm so such a fan of Ex Nihilo um, and what you're doing with this, Eddie. I think this is a message uh, and a connection that more people need to see. Uh, I know in my life, just to get to get real vulnerable, like with it, um, about a year and a half ago, I was in Disneyland with my wife, uh, my sister-in-law and, uh, and my son, James, our, our youngest wasn't even born at the time. And we're walking around Disneyland supposed to be the happiest place on earth. Right. And all I remember feeling is just tired. It's like, man, this walking is so hard. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I just didn't have the energy for it. And it was kind of a wake up call. Like, I wasn't able to be my true self and with my family there. I wasn't able to be, to be the best husband, to be the best father I could be in that moment because my energy level wasn't right. You know, around that same time, I was having significant uh, uh, back spasm issues. Um, you know, started seeing a chiropractor, 
doctors are trying to edit uh, medicate me with drugs and stuff, right? Which is like a, a Band-Aid on a gushing artery. You know, that's not helpful. <laughs> so I go to a chiropractor and he basically says, man, you should, I tell him about my lifestyle and I primarily just sit at a desk all day and write and study and uh, then do teaching and stuff. And he's like, yeah, honestly, man, you probably just need to exercise. And so I started uh, going to this gym, um, moved some things around in our budget to to be able to be a part of this gym, uh, similar to a CrossFit, but they also incorporate some parkour and MMA and some other fun things. And, uh, so I started doing that within a month, I would say my back issues, uh, went away just because as I was working on mobility, you know, your spine has a way of doing better, uh, with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so back issues went away, saw my energy levels start to go up, um, within a few months too and uh you know change some things with my diet and and all told end result is i'm able to be uh, a better version of myself i'm able to be a more loving presence for my wife for my kids for the people that i lead and serve and um in the writing that i do and it's all because i'm trying to take care of the physical part of me uh, and mm-hmm. so, as you said, that's a connection that we just cannot miss uh, if we are in leadership, particularly if we're in Christian leadership. We've got to make that connection and take care of our bodies. So. Exactly. I, I think it's immensely, immensely impactful for anyone who's you know, in, in any sort of leadership, regardless if that's in, you know, in a church or if it's something secular, I, I mean, understanding the connection between your physical and spiritual body and your mental as well. Right. So your knowledge, um, and those, those three things, how they connect, I mean, not even just in exercise, but also in diet and eating. One of the big things about X and the Hilo is eating what God, the way God created food to be eaten. And so if we have, we're eating nowadays, we eat processed foods that are chemi- chemically infused. Um, we're eating GMOs, which, you know, I like to say, God move over. That's what it stands <laughs> for. We've, we've, we're creating things that we scientifically see as better when, if we truly understand our true narrative and our true story, we understand that there's a greater story and that God is good, right, and perfect, that he's making things already as best as they can be made. And so if we're eating those things, we're going to see the best bang for your buck impact in terms of cognitive memory, in terms of the way we feel, in terms of the way we treat other people and, and the way we breathe. And so that's that giant connection there for me with X and Hilo. Yeah. And I am learning from you as you crank out the content, like that uh, article you did on the bulletproof coffee. Like after I read that, I started doing that and uh, it's, I, I mean, it, makes a difference it's helping me as i study the word in the morning uh you know as i play with my boys in the morning and so it's i mean yeah I'm, i i appreciate what you're doing and i'm learning from you uh in all of this eddie so oh, cool well thanks man i really appreciate that hey we're coming up on time but before you go i like to ask our guests uh one last question um, you guys are always dishing out so much information and you just dished out a, a well of wellspring of theological, but also practical information for people to take home. What are two or three things that you just feel if you could tell the world, um, that what are two or three things that r- are really necessary for people to hear in your mind? Mm. Yeah, I would say, uh, take 
half a day if you can, or even take an hour if you can to get alone, uh, get a piece of paper, uh, maybe get a Bible if you have one, um, and chart, try to chart your story. Like, so what we were talking about early on in the podcast of the idea of, man, we all trust some kind of good news story that follows that framework. And we're all chasing some kind of love. And can you identify that? Do you know what that is? Do you know what your life is about? And then you may, after identifying that, you may realize like, oh man, I'm actually chasing, I'm actually wasting my life and living a lie. Like I'm out of touch with what feels like true purpose. So Mm. something to think about with that. And then honestly, just the, the essence of ex nihilo, this connection between body and uh, mind and spirit, I would say, you know, prayerfully reflect on that and try to find a next step for you uh, in one of those areas. Uh, maybe spirit, maybe mind, maybe body. Uh, man, what do, what's the one area out of those three that, man, it feels like you're really dropping the ball, really need to step it up here, and then what's one step forward that you can take in that area mm-hmm. that you Bro. Well, man, awesome pieces of advice. Before you go, where can our listeners hear more about you or uh, your website, social media? Sure. Yeah, I uh, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, just uh, Sean Post. I also blog uh, a bit at thestorieswelive.com. And of course, if any of the books that we talked about uh, are of interest to you, those are on the good old amazon.com so just search for them there and i'll be honored if you check that out so cool well i'll have links in the show notes for everyone so if they have any uh, interest in, in checking those books out we'll have the links up we'll have the links to your website and then also your coaching as well commentor coaching sean is a uh, a coach for leaders and so if you um, are looking for someone to help walk you through what we've talked about today um sean would be a, a valuable uh, a coach. I mean, for me, he's been an awesome uh, companion in our in our journey, and I'm glad our stories have uh, inter- intertwined a little bit there, Sean. Yeah, me too, Eddie. Hey, man, thanks for coming on. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Yeah.